Hi and hello, Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real-Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts, and my co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, calling in all the way from Amsterdam, where a group of rabid watch fanatics have recently been coalescing. Alan, can you tell us about what you've been up to in the past couple of days? Besides watches, 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 um, a lot of exciting stuff. We signed on another watch brand for Ace, which will be revealed soon. Uh, had an another fun Red Bar crew meetup, and always fun seeing many watch nerds and collectors in one cafe jam together, beers and a lot of watches. Everybody brings their own watches, and I every time discover new stuff. So it's super cool, and I have actually a cool anecdote. One of our dear listeners um, surprised me during that event and this is a shout out to youp on instagram you can find him at j-o-e-p-l-o-u-i-s youp louis um he's so sweet he listened to one of our recent episodes where we were talking about our grail watches and one of my grail watches at very high on the list is an fb jewel or a resonance piece so he brought me from his private collection a catalog of FP Jules, still sealed in plastic from 1991. He says, Alon, I know you've been admiring FP Jules for a long time. You, you're not a hype beast, so you didn't get on the bandwagon recently. Um, so he brought that for me. So that I, I really, I really appreciated that. And, and it really touched me. And that's going into my private book collection at home. And now I work. So shout out to you. Thank you. And he's an avid listener. And I really, really appreciate it. Will you open it? Good question. So this morning during breakfast, I I left my watches and the book on my dining table. So my son uh, dove into my box of watches, which he often does. And he says, oh, this is cool. This is not cool. This is cool. And he says, what is this book? And he was about to rip the plastic open. I said, no, no, don't do it. (laughs) And then I said to myself, why not actually? Because I need to educate him about FB Jouren, right? Which I haven't done. But you know what? It, it's like a time capsule. Since it survived so many years already, I don't think I'm going to open it. So, no, I'm not, Rob. That's interesting. I mean, I probably would do the same thing. I probably wouldn't want to be the one that opened it, but I might have just left it within your son's grasp in case he would do the honors for me and then I could blame on him. Say, I'll remember that time you ripped <laughs> open that box fresh catalog. What a, what a terror you were, but thanks. Thanks very much because I wanted to see it. What else occurred at Red Bar Amsterdam this week? We have new members in the network and our our TRTS network and also Red Bar crew Amsterdam members. So this is also a shout out to Speedy Birthday here on Instagram. Uh, He sent in amazing questions. He was there last night as well. He sparked an amazing discussion in the network about design. And then we had Miles who is also a Red Bar crew member and also a new member of the TRTS network who sparked an amazing discussion about AI. And I think that I should not uh, dive into those two because they actually asked us in the network to discuss these topics on air rope. So, and I think there's such heavy and important philosophical discussions and we should separate the two and make them a dedicated episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And they are intense talking points. And we noticed that already in the real-time show network, which if anyone doesn't know, that's our WhatsApp chat for our most ardent listeners. 
If you would like to join the Real Time Show Network, you can do. You can just get in touch with us via the usual channels, either Instagram, email, or our contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show, and send us your phone number, and we'll add you to the WhatsApp chat group, and you can meet like-minded watch maniacs. And I tell you what, it has been maniacal this week. There has been some real hot debate, and um, everything's very civil, of course. Everyone's treating each other with respect, but there are some strongly opposed opinions on the nature and usage of AI in design. But as we promised, Miles and the gang, uh, Sylvan as well, who's got some very interesting positions on this topic, we will dedicate an entire episode to it and perhaps even bring on some of the real-time show network as guests to offer their opinions firsthand because this technology is not just something that could change the way the watch design is at least processed you know there might be parts of the design process that use ai and other parts that still require the brilliance of the human mind and its flexibility to see things that have never been done before in shapes that have existed for a long time and um yeah it could alter society that's why it's such a you know cascading topic you start in one point and you've got to stay really focused to address the issue at hand and for us that would be watch design and i know that I think we need to get Sylvan on at least to like make the case for anti-AI because he is like very much a passionate supporter of the the craft and uh, human involvement in it. I have to say off the top, I would agree with him um, implicitly and I would love to hear counter arguments put to that. And what we need to be mindful of as the AI technology improves and its abilities deepen a pace and how they will ripple out through society and uh, not to get too you know, apocalyptic about the whole thing, but what things we need to be concerned about, especially when it comes to our beloved industry. So yeah, we're going to shelf that one. We'll do it in the next couple of weeks. I guess what we've suggested is a little bit more logistically taxing than normally just recording with one another, but I think it'll be worth it because I'd love to hear the voices of our listeners on air. And if you would like to become one of those listeners, then please just reach out to us and we will make it happen. Talking of amazing listeners and the questions they've been providing us in recent weeks we've got some really nice ones today and we will start with oh you mentioned speedy birthier right so let's start with speedy birthier okay this is a cool question this is a really cool question so it's a topic that has uh, been talked about a lot within our group and between ourselves and this is the christopher ward cw12 speedy birthier says this the 12 is a bit of a novelty in the sense that it closely resembles an indie watch, the Chapek Antarctique. The case shape, the dial styling, even down to the double claw indices at 12. It feels like a copy. Whilst plagiarism can be seen as the ultimate form of flattery, I am unsure here. What's your take on this close resemblance? How should Chapek respond to something like this? Now, Alon, I know you have some first-hand experience of talking to Christopher Ward and even the man who was tangentially at least responsible for this piece of design. Why don't you take this away and I'll jump in later on. Thank you for the question. Very relevant question. And you guys know us for being real, being honest, being opinionated and objective. But what makes a good journalist? Somebody who does their research. So we went to the source. And at one, we went to one of the designers of Christopher Ward. We reached out to one of the owners, Mike Franz. He's coming on the show. We already interviewed 
the designer, which is Adrian Buchmann. And we discussed this openly and very directly. So stay tuned for that episode that will air in the coming weeks. I, I don't want to give away too much, Rob, if you don't mind, because we went into that topic. I did when I interviewed Adrian Buchmann. You were unfortunately on the road, so you can join me for that recording. We're going to try to have you on the show when we interview Mike Franz, uh, one of the owners of the brand. I take a position that's less critical. So the debate here is, oh, how the hell could have Christopher Ward make a watch that is a copy of the Antaltig by Chapin? I think it's more nuanced than that. Why? The biggest style elements for the Antaltig, in my humble opinion, are the C-links in the bracelets. I call them U-links, but you were very strict on calling it C-links. And to my big regret, and I said that on air with the interview with Adrian Buchmann, they are C-links because obviously it's called Chapek. So I on air for the second time now hereby say it, Rob, you were right. Good grief. Don't, don't make a habit of it. Oh my gosh. You know, it, it, it pains me. It pains me to say it and the listeners know this. Look, look, look. I mean, although I may well have been right, that's beside the point. I don't think I was anywhere near as militant about the C-Links as you were. I think I conceded that it depends which way you're holding the watch. I was like, oh yeah, they could be U-Links. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. I you gave were... you your dues, all right? So, you but did, I was you right. Did. So, you did, know, but yeah. I was off. And then and, and it's a no-brainer that it's a C because the brand starts with the chapter. But okay. Anyways, I'm deviating. So, But but I had a discussion with him because Adrian was also like, oh, yeah, yeah, it could be a U. So it never came to his mind that it's a U. And that's the beauty of perspective. What's a unique design? And that goes to the core, the philosophical core of what is design and what is new design. The design philosophy of being unique, say everything is by association, right? Everything that we create comes from the source that we've been influenced of what we've seen from day one since we've been born. So that's one school of thought, right? In watchmaking, it's super, super rare to see really, really new design stuff. That's why I'm a huge fan of real good design, of which one of them is Sylvain Bernerot. I got you hooked. Wouter from Wrist Icons, at Wrist Icons, also Red Bar crew member, was there at the event. He's also definitely from day one in our real-time show network. And he's working on a very amazing project. I don't want to say too much. I want to have him on air. But he's working on something very cool related to objective source and data collection and independent watchmaking. So stay tuned for that. I want to bring him on the show to give him the honor to launch that idea. He, I drove him mad that he should at least get to know Sylvain Bernal, but definitely get on the subscription list for his new watch he listened to me he had a call for two and a half hours with Sylvain and he's hooked like you are Rob that's very cool to see uh, friendships are being forged in our network and they're heated debates but we keep it respectful as you said going back to the 12 I do think the Antarctique is completely new the design is new movement for sure bracelet for sure Case-wise, there's hardly anything there that's not new. Now, the 12 is, in my humble opinion, a mashup. Definitely not a copy of an Antaltique, in my opinion. The bezel 
has 12 edges. That's why it's called the 12. I didn't get it why it was called 12. I thought they put the number 12 at the 12 o'clock position, and that's why it was called 12. But there are no dials with the 12 on them, although the Antarctic does have them optionally. Bezel is Zenith Defy-ish for me. Then bracelet doesn't even look like the Antarctic. It's an integrated bracelet. Well, Mazaltov, congratulations. There are now 12 in a dozen. Everybody makes integrated bracelet watches. If I had to find an association, I would say Tissot PRX maybe. So doesn't come near the Antarctic. The dial, from a distance, you would say, ooh, also looks a bit uh, Antarctic-ish. But when you zoom in, which I did on screen, I didn't hold the watch, right? So I always said, now, I don't make definite decisions to buy or opinions about if I think it's utter rubbish or an amazing watch until I've held the watch and played with it and put it on my wrist. But I zoomed in and the logo, Christopher Ward's logo is a Swiss flag plus a British flag. So two pluses basically. So the dial of the 12 has that profile in it. So doesn't resemble anything. You could think that it goes back to the IWC engineer, which had this electricity symbol on the dial. And the new engineer, the revamp, also has cube-ish profiles on the dial, but doesn't look like anything. I don't want to give away too much of the episode, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit being very delicate in what I say and don't say, because I don't want to give away what has been discussed on air. And there is a big thing in defense of Christopher Ward and why Christopher is being attacked and maybe Adrian Buchmann as well. The thing is, he's a freelance designer and he has ownership and CEO title of the smartwatch brand sequence. He also worked for Chapek. He also works for Christopher Ward. So that's also a reason that people are attacking this. But I will shut up now. Let him defend himself on air. We'll also have Mike Franz come on. So we'll definitely ask him this question and raise the topic and see how they perceive things. Now, Rob, what's your take on it? Bloody hell. What do I think about all of that? Well, there's a lot to think about and a lot to comment on. The Chapek Antarctique, when it was released, was heralded as something very new um, by many journalists, myself included. And it has become possibly the most desirable modern and really modern design steel sports watch in the industry as the closed order book clearly shows. However, when the Tissot PRX was re-released, people were quick to draw comparisons between those two watches. And I got a lot of messages from readers of my previous work and listeners to the podcast saying, well, why would I buy an Antarctic? Why not just buy a PRX? And I gave appropriate time to, you know, discuss these topics with these listeners and these commenters. But I guess like my, my actual feeling was if you're asking that question, you won't be convinced by the answer that I have to give. Like if you know the answer, like there's something very special about a really high-end steel sports watch for level of finishing is beyond compare. The movement, the SXH5 of the Chapek Antarctic. Uh, just batters whatever the PRX has inside it around the car park. So there's there's no no comparison whatsoever. And there is true novelty, as you correctly point out, Alan, in the bracelet. Now, the bracelet 
is nothing like the Tissot PRX bracelet. I can see why people draw the comparisons because of the pattern dial of the PRX, the tapisserie style dial, which echoes, in my opinion, the Royal Oak, and then slightly nods to, or should I say, the Flinke Passage to Drake dial from Chapek slightly nodded to it, although was itself very different from a technical and microscopic perspective, at least. Now we have the 12. Now the 12 is a funny thing because it's actually bang slap in the middle of the PRX and the Antarctique because the bracelet, as you rightly point out, Elon, is PRX inspired, not Antarctique inspired. I would even actually say in in favor of the 12 that the bracelet on the 12 is better than the PRX because of its rather large and attractive chamfering on the edges of the links. If you compare the two, the PRX is very direct and very straight up and straight down and that's its own style that's fine it's one is not better than the other perhaps but like i prefer the bracelet of the 12 the case middle is very similar of course to um both but you will notice that the major difference of the 12 is that rather than the central portion of the link being recessed in the case as is the case with the antarctic and the prx it actually protrudes here so we have a case the 12s case is more similar to the Arcanaut case model in the fact that it has this single central lug rather than two traditional lugs. Let's just say they're all integrated bracelets. That's true. And they're nice. And I don't think every brand makes them yet, but the more that do, the merrier. The question really about design is what is sacrosanct? What should not be lifted from one design and ported to another? And how much of a watch's design is its DNA how much of that design is the designer's DNA? Now, we have very few instances in the history of watchmaking where one designer has been responsible for several classics. The obvious one to talk about and the best case study we can reference is Gerald Genta. His design DNA is riddled through most of what he has done for major brands. You can see links between those watches. Not all the time. Sometimes he was capable of complete curveballs that don't look anything like the rest of his work. But generally speaking, you can see a certain style of his uh, design sensibilities being replicated from model to model to model. Now, we often lament that designers are not placed front and center in a brand's communication strategy these days, and that the brand is a hero rather than the designer who is often hidden behind the veil of brand perception. But we know Adrian had a little bit to do with the 12, at least, at the very least, and we'd be completely ignorant to look at that dial and not see the obvious callbacks to the Antarctic. Now, the interesting thing about this dial, if we want to be really particular about it, is that it it's, uh, it is a mashup again. It's another interpretation of the dials that Chapek has produced. When Chapek released the Antarctic with the Terra Deli model, it had a flat Lame dial with these long sharp indices at every point with a double claw as i call it at 12 then they released the passage to drake which had a chapter ring around the outside and shorter indices and that chapter ring here has been echoed in the 12 the difference is that they've retained the double claw indices and they've actually made all of the indexes on this model the same size so it gives it a, a bit more of an aggressive look if anything a bit more jagged so this is kind of like the dial that i first worked on with Chapek for the Fratello limited edition and the Passage to Drake sort of put back together and with this new patination on the dial which is an echo of the the plus from the Christopher Ward logo as you correctly state Alan. Now 
what are we seeing here? Is it a copy? Is it an homage? Is it an evolution of a design? And it calls upon several elements from several different watches and several different developmental stages of those watches as well. And what it presents is similar in many ways to a lot of things, but unlike them in just as many ways from piece to piece. Is there enough uniqueness about any of the designs that we're talking about, the PRX or the Antarctique, for them to cry foul too strongly about what is clearly a model designed to piggyback on the current success of both those pieces? This is not like, and we'll transition perfectly into this current topic of conversation, the new Argon watch released by our friend Guillaume Lede, uh, on and Thierry Offray on uh, Kickstarter recently to great success, great acclaim. So much so that you actually backed it yourself, Alan, and I'd love for you to describe it to our listeners in a moment once I've raised the point of contention surrounding it. And that point of contention is the fact that this model is, shall we say, at least echoic of uh, one of David Tuna's classic spaceship-style models designed by, De- I'm going to say his name wrong, um, Dennis, how do I say it, Alan? Flagolet. Oh, good question. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Flagolet, I think. Okay. It's Belgium with a French name. Right, right. Okay, your your French pronunciation is always better than mine. Okay, so so this was a topic raised by Sylvain in the group because Sylvain's um, a, a great admirer of Dennis's work. We'll just stick with Dennis, I can say that. And uh, Dennis is renowned within the industry as a very creative mind and someone that comes up with things that have never, ever been seen before. And that Dibbertoon was, uh, I mean, a marker point of design in the industry. Now we have this Argon, which is a beautiful, affordable model for people that like that style, but it is similar. And perhaps in some ways the obviousness of that line of inspiration and the irrefutableness of it is more contentious than yet another integrated bracelet round steel sports watch as the PRX, the Antarctic and the 12 all are. Because let's face it, there is only so much you can do in watchmaking. There are only so many things that you can be original with. And while that is not an excuse... It is a reason. So, Alon, will you tell us a bit about the Argon, about the project, about um, Guillaume's hopes for it, and what you think about this issue of design? Wow, big and hot topic. So, Théo Frère is a high, 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 high-end hotelogery watchmaker who makes very high, high-end pieces in Paris, mostly by hand. Uh, what, what level should we even compare him to, uh, Rob? I mean, we discussed this watch during the GPHG predictions, actually our first or second episode ever. He's really up there, right? Yeah, he's one of the finest. Yeah. So Guillaume Lade, aka Sexy Boy, if you haven't heard the episode, go find it on the episode section on our website or your podcast player. He came on the show as well. So Guillaume has already a nice track record in the watchmaking industry. He's now responsible for Nevada Grenchen, Excelsior Park. He's the co-founder of Argon Watches together with Theo Fleur, and he's a consultative Vulcan Watches. So he loves heritage watch brands. And it's actually cool that in this uh, duality that he has in him, he created something super unique together with a high-end watchmaker who's his mate in the same city because Guillaume lives in Paris as well. They started a subscription kind of brand a sous-scription sous-scription 
We need, we need to get David on this on this show for the French pronunciation. We should just call him up whenever we've got to do something because da- David Vaucher, you know, our uh, resident provocateur, whose articles will soon be returning to the air, by the way. He's written several and I've just been too lazy to record them all. He is uh, fluent in French and could really help us out here. Why don't we use him as a French consultant? What's wrong with us muddling our way through these names? Jesus. Because you say I, I pronounce things well in French, but I did only one year of French in high school and did not pay enough attention, as you guys can hear. So, subscription. All right, stop it. Stop saying it. Subscription. It's fine. It's fine. Just use a translation for God's sake. <laughs> I don't want to use AI, dude. We just said that. We're not big fans of AI. No, all kidding aside. So, what what these watch brands mean with subscription is they launch a design or what model. You can subscribe to it when the subscription period ends that quantity will be produced and then never again in theory. So that's what they did with Argo. They came up with the idea. They wanted to make a cool watch that's made or designed and made by high-end products for an affordable price. Let's say they are tributing the Mad Gallery watches. So the Mad One, for example. So those are baby MBNFs made for the masses, let's say. Yeah, but if you don't mind, I'd just like to jump in there. There's a very nice comparison, but it is different in the way that the Mad Ones are made by MBNF, like a, a different price point to make it accessible for their customers. There is a genuineness about that, which I think sort of precludes the Mad One from criticism. Well, anyways, anyways, there is nothing like a Mad One watch. So if you're talking about creativity, newness, being new and never seen before, there are maybe watches where the rotor is on the top of the dial. There is maybe a watch where you can read the hour and minutes in a vertical manner. So they're a ring around the caliber, right? But the lugs, I don't think we've ever seen before. By coincidence, I held a mad one and wore it during the Red Bar meetup. We actually have one as a uh, CPO watch in stock at Ace. I missed out now two or three of the lotteries. I want one. Would I wear it every day? No. So I'm tapping into that creativity, right? So going back to the Argon watch, I've seen it online, loved it. Guillaume has shown me images, renders before he launched it. I said, I want one. We've seen it in our hands and on our wrist, you and I together during our meeting at Watches and Wonders. So you and I had a heated debate, which one are we going to get? I said, I'm going to get the carbon. I was lucky enough to get one of the 100 pieces on Kickstarter. Now, for me, it is literally what it was meant to be, an accessible UVEC slash MBNF slash I don't know what hyper watch space age uh, Star Trek Star Wars fans watch. That's what it does for me. I am not buying it to flip it. I am not thinking about expensive, cheap. It's just just fun. And honestly, I wanted to support Guillaume because he became a friend. I work with him with Nevada Grinchen. I actually signed today with Vulcan to become a dealer as well. So I'm a fan of him. I don't like his sexy stuff and I don't like his OnlyFans page. But I do like the watches he makes. So... That's also a reason for me to get the watch. Very honestly, I totally forgot 
that the Bethune had a space age-ish spaceship watch. I totally forgot that. So when I posted that the Kickstarter program is live and I got one in our real-time show network, because that's what we also do in the group to help each other notify when there is FOMO lurking around, fear of missing out, right, in the watch industry. Um, Sylvain went off, literally. <laughs> yeah, he, he blew his top. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Quite quite rightly so. I mean, this is what makes yeah. Sylvain Sylvain. It's why he's such yeah. a valuable member of the group because his passion is, well, I don't know. I would almost say that, like, where most humans have passion, passion has Sylvain. Like, it, it, like is the main force of his being is his, his driving passion by watchmaking and handcraft and skill you know like he's a fireball and it's a funny thing to say because he's, he's obviously quite like mild-mannered and polite in real life and um you wouldn't think that he would explode in that way but it's just it all comes from a good place a really genuine place and uh, it's not ang- it's not well it is anger actually it's anger di- directed towards like anything that goes against the purity of the craft and um what we have in the network, we've talked a lot about the network today because it's been so active recently. Uh, we've had some real, real uh, heavy contributors join re- uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it's it's made a huge difference. Like it's just it is going off every day about one thing or another. If it's not this watch, it's AI or whatever. All the new releases, blah blah blah, and it's fantastic to watch because we've got people from all different strata of the industry. You know, you've got heads of sales from big group brands, you've got creative directors, you, you've got collectors, you've got watchmakers, you've got master watchmakers, you've got journalists, you know, it's so it's a real mixed bag and the opinions are just, uh, well, it's an education. Even if you are a laid back collector who doesn't want to say a lot, you're also welcome to the group. The read only members are also welcome. We, we're name dropping, not so much to brag, but just to show you how much added value there is in being in the group um, because everybody is there to give and not to take and it's not about egos or showing off because they're really philosophical discussions so to continue um about sylvain and and you're so right he's a very gentle soul so that's why it was fun to see him go off and the funny thing is he knows that i agree with him but just for the, the sake of argument and keep it going, I did egg him on a bit. So his argument was, oh, this is a blatant copy of the Batoon and they should have not did it. And I honestly totally forgot that, that the Batoon watch existed. And technically he's right because it's not far off. Um, so and, and then he and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go fast forward to the summary after a ping-pong back and forth between all the members, including you and I. He said, okay, if it's a tribute to that, he should have gone to Dennis or they, so Theo Offrin and Guillaume Lede, and whomever is active in the Argon project, should have gone to Dennis and at least share what they're doing and ask for permission. And maybe we should conclude that that, that we don't know if they have or haven't done that. So Rob and I have the obligation now to go and seek out that answer, which we'll do. And maybe we should get Guillaume back on the show again, or Théophre, or the both of them. Because um, that's a nice thing to do. And that loops back to the story about the 12, right? Did they consider this an homage, a tribute? Did they look at that watch? Didn't they look at the watch? Did they forget it? Did they omit it? But 
In Sylvan's defense, the whole reason I bought it is that either I can't obtain a spaceship-ish watch anymore new off-the-shelf by Debatoon MBNF or Uber. So either I need to go out and buy a pre-owned one or I can't even afford it. For me, it's the latter. So that's why I also got an Argon because it gives me that vibe. Will it be in my collection forever? Probably not. Um, my passion for the real deal is very big. And as I said several times on the show, I'm hunting down an Uber. I actually pinned one down. And in a few weeks' times, I might be a lucky owner. The question also is, do they care at Argon? Is it a commercial exercise or not? If it is, they're super successful. I believe the limited editions, there were two pieces that were 100 pieces. And the rest are like subscription models that they'll produce until the Kickstarter project closes. That's the quantity that will confound it. And they'll never, ever produce them again. I believe they raised, they sold out the limiteds within minutes. They raised $650,000 in a day. Is there a need for it? Obviously. Will it be another flip hype beast watch like the Moonswatch? Maybe, maybe we'll see them. I didn't even look if they're now up on Chrome 24. I hope not, but probably they are. I didn't even look. But I think it will fade. Um, I do think that Theo and Guillaume didn't mean any disrespect. And they didn't come from an angle from, hey, the, the platoon is a cool watch. Let's rip it. But let's ask them on air. Yeah, fair enough. I think that it's quite clearly inspired by it. And uh, the watch we're talking about, in case anyone wants to check it out, because we call it the Spaceship Watch, it's actually called the Dream Watch. So you can find that by going to Debituna. So that's uh, D-E-B-E-T-H-U-N-E dot C-H forward slash E-N, if you're English, forward slash collections forward slash dream hyphen watches. It is... Well, it looks like uh, the ship from Flight of a Navigator, in my opinion, and that was one of my favorite films when I was growing up. So for me, it's always been very, very cool. Was it necessary, you said, Elon? You said yes, because it sold. I'm not sure that defines whether it was necessary or whether it was desired. It was certainly obviously desired because it has a great commercial uh, result there, bringing in almost a million euros here um, in a very short space of time. And we could see the project breeze past that in the coming days because it will still run a little while longer i suppose the thing that it raised in my mind is one of the uh, age-old battles that we have in watchmaking and that is is there space for homage pieces in the industry now the obvious answer is yes because as we can see from this project and the success of brands like steinhardt for example or I don't know, a, a brands that exist purely to replicate the watches of others they have an audience. They have a group of people that wish to wear something that they can afford that looks like the thing that they really want. And that is absolutely fine. Everyone should buy what they feel comfortable and excited by within their budget and enjoy it. Not for me to judge that. I never would. I want people to enjoy watches and to share in the love of the craft. However, for me personally, as a slightly more seasoned collector perhaps and maybe a more discerning one because of my background in the industry and the passion I have for the uniqueness of design and the importance of intellectual property protection. I always veer away from anything that isn't the best of type. 
Now, because of that, I do not have in my collection a lot of the styles of watches you might expect someone to have. Given how long I've been collecting, I don't have anything that looks remotely like a Submariner, for example. My feeling is something has to be as good as it can be within the category that it stands. And true design is marked by a uniqueness that you won't see anywhere else. And the Dreamwatch was true design. Now we have like a more affordable corollary to it. For me, I can't afford the Dreamwatch. I actually don't really want to own the Dreamwatch. It's not like something that, you know, makes me salivate, but it's very cool. And if I did want it, I would want it. I don't think I would ever buy anything that reminded me of it, but wasn't it. And that's just my personal way of being. Like, I, I don't like look down on anybody for wanting to get a Tissot PRX because they want an Antarctic. That's totally cool because PRX is cool in its own right as well. Just as the Argon is, they are different. Like, it is not the same watch. It's not just like a cheap Myota-powered version of the Dream Watch. It has got differences. It has the crown on its backside instead of it on the front. It's made from different materials. It has a different form. It echoes it, of course, but it is its own thing. That's fine. But for me... I would always try and go for the best of type. And I always say this, and that's only my personal opinion. It isn't some kind of sage advice that you should follow as if it were carved on stone tablets, but it is the way I feel about it. So let's leave that one there. And I think we probably have time for maybe one more question. Goodness gracious, we certainly do go on a bit these days. All right, uh, let's take this one. Came in from the contact form from Jason, otherwise known as Dick underscore Mille, that's D-I-C-K underscore M-I-L-L-E on Instagram. Jason says, being that you are both passionate for small brands and independent watchmakers, I was wondering if you've ever been put off a watch or brand after meeting liaising with the brand owner or figurehead. I recall Tim Mosso speaking about Sapanieva and Jean and how his opinion of the brands and the watches soured somewhat after meeting their respective figureheads and the less than desirable interaction that resulted. Okay, so uh, sensitive Topic, perhaps contentious. Very good question. Driving straight to the heart of the matter. People that don't know Tim Musso, he is a well-known, well-respected American uh, journalist, uh, former Navy man, I believe. Works primarily for Watchbox in Philadelphia and is associated with Govberg Jewelers as a result. Knows his stuff. And uh, I think to him, the people behind the industry are almost as important as the watchers. But I, I guess Tim would really value the watchers more than them. But how do you feel, Alon? What do you think? Have you had this experience? Have you been put off because of a personality clash? Yes, definitely. I I feel him completely. I understand what he's saying. And the older that I get, and the more financial independent that I get, I permit myself to navigate those relationships and these watch purchases more emotionally. What do I mean by that? As a retailer, at any, in any business, and any conducting of business, you try to put emotions aside to get to an end goal business-wise, right? Call it opportunistic, call it goal-orientated, or simply non-emotional. I think our industry is very emotional. We definitely don't sell any primary needs. Uh, any goods that are necessary to survive. Back in the day, they were when you were uh, faring the seas or you needed your Speedmaster on the Apollo 13 mission to get back to Earth. But today, none of us civilians need a watch. So we definitely don't sell anything that we need. 
So relatively, it's an emotional business. There are a lot of egos in this industry because I guess we're dealing with luxury and often high ticket, high price tickets, um, which doesn't justify it. Okay. I, I hate egos. I hate politics and definitely I can't stand arrogance. Now, by becoming older, financially independent, and therefore as an entrepreneur, a businessman, and a jeweler, I literally sometimes don't sell a watch to a buyer if he's disrespectful or basically an a-hole. Vice versa, I won't do business with the brand anymore if I've been treated not rightfully so. And my brother and I are almost unanimous in this. Very recent example. We believe we've been not dealt with correctly, both by the Swatch Group and Longin, which we love the brand and we've sold it for many decades very well. We took an emotional decision to stop the dealership on our end and left a lot of money on the table. So that's an example. Vice versa, I just said that one of the reasons also to buy the Argon watch is because of Guillaume. Does he need my help? Apparently not, because they sold a million within 48 hours, right? So he didn't need me. But it does work like that. I mean, I wanted Nomos for many years. I met you. You were very, very incremental in getting the dealership for Ace. But would I have gotten it without you? Maybe. Probably. Would it have been magical as it was and still is? No. Will we had the collabs? Probably not. So when there's an interpersonal relationship that's good or even friendship, magic happened. I mean, uh, you and I as journalists also noticed that during the fairs, right, that we visited. And so to summarize and to answer Jason's uh, uh, question, hell yes. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is a factor, especially when you are operating behind the curtain, as as we often do in our roles as journalists and also in Alan's role as a retailer. And um, there have been myriad examples of bad behavior souring one's relationship with a potential customer or the other way around. And it's sad, but I prefer to focus on the opposite side, as Alan pointed to the you know positive feelings we have towards Guillaume is why we are in support of his his endeavor um the same is true of Sylvan or Clement Gove from Laventure or Giles Ellis from Schofield Lewis Heath Man or Dane uh Lasse and Einstein from Straum Anders and James from Arkenor you know the smaller brands that really take the time and really show you the respect as a fellow watch lover that you desire let's be honest you know you want to be respected you want to be taken seriously that that matters a huge amount and even i with all the experience i have have been treated like dirt by certain brand representatives less so often in my case with the ceos who know like who i am in a sense like that i'm not just some like little chump that sort of turned up off the street and wants to see the latest watches they, they know of like the background but I have been like really I've run into like some real snootiness and I actually like 
I, I relish it in a way because like when I'm in that situation, I, I sort of see, I sort of push it and try and see just how nasty someone can be to a customer, a potential customer, for example, where they don't know who they are. Like if, if and it's absolutely gobsmacking. Then you hear about like people walking into boutiques and being like just turned off immediately by everything in the store because the staff are like so arrogant and uh, they don't want to give you the time of day. Especially if you, you're wearing, say, a t-shirt and jeans and trainers or whatever, as I often do, because, you know, I'm kind of tired of dressing up for everybody else a lot of the time. And uh, people have this perception that like, oh, well, he's, he's, not, he's obviously not got any money because he's not wearing a, a suit from TM Lewin as if that bloody well matters, you know. And uh, I know for a fact that, I mean, one of, uh, one of our mutual friends, RJ, he used to be an avid Royal Oak owner, and he has such a poor opinion of ap's ceo he actually sold all of his royal oaks which was like wow what a what a statement like you can't even wear the watch because you're so fed up with the bloke like i don't think i've ever been turned off from a brand that i have bought into yet but um yeah i haven't had interactions definitely with ceos um and representatives that have put me off buying the brand just left me feeling you know, unloved. What do you think about that, Elam? That's interesting to hear. So I did ride that emotional roller coaster of literally selling off stuff as a private collector as well because some a-holes representing a brand. But the older I get, I, I can tune my rationale to control my emotion better. Um, so what I've noticed in all these years some people can really turn you off a brand, like Mosso also has experienced. But then I'll I'll just freeze them, like I said in previous episodes, when I want to sell off watches, I'll just cool down. And if I really love a product, that love will surge again for that product. But you see how, how emotional and personal this business is? Yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing. We focus on the negative, saying, oh, well, I'm not going to buy this watch because that guy's a dick or like because they talked to me like I was a piece of shit, et cetera, et cetera. But there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of watches out there that we could buy, and we don't buy the vast majority of them. And the fact that we don't buy a small minority of that vast majority because we think the people behind the brand are a-holes is a bit of a negative way to focus on it. We do buy the very small minority of watches that we do buy, largely because we either love the brand or we've had a positive experience with the people behind it. And I always think of the uh, of the relationships that I've built in the industry and how much joy I take in sometimes supporting those smaller brands, especially the ones that I'm, I'm fully behind. As, as you know, I listed many of them before. And that's where I choose to place my focus, like not on the fact that, yes, it is totally possible to be switched off by a total dick, but it is equally and perhaps more commonly possible to be excited by um, real visionaries and lovely people. Well said. And on that note, I think we should end the show. I do want to say there is zero tolerance policy on assholes. Arrogance. It's absurd that you've been dealt with as dirt. And this is a warning to all of you in the watch industry. Don't do it. We'll call you out on it. <laughs> okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. We're all human beings. 
Okay, I don't ask you to marry me, but at least have decency. Don't be arrogant. This is also a call to all my colleague retailers and jewelers. Who the heck are you? You are not the brands that you sell. Be happy that somebody is willing to walk into your store. Treat them with respect, even if the waiting list is 10 years. Just answer. Yeah. Deal with somebody like you want to be dealt with yourself. That's my motto. And don't judge a book by its cover, because we've seen some of the finest collectors and the most knowledgeable journalists in this industry sometimes turn up to events looking like they slept on a park bench. And I'm probably including myself in that category as well. And you'd just be surprised sometimes. Like, um, if you're in that sort of mindset that people always need to address to impress, you miss out on a lot of very interesting stories and a lot of fascinating people that really are the lifeblood of this industry and, you know, it's beating hearts. So be open, be receptive. And as Alan says, like treat people kindly or we will come for you. All right. Um, nice threatening note to end upon. If you'd like to get involved in the show, if you'd like to ask us some questions, then please feel free to get in touch. You can contact me at Rob Nuds on Instagram. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Or you can reach out to Alan, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Alternatively, you can contact us via email, either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. You can send us a message via our contact form, which you can find on our website, www.therealtime.show. Please like, follow, subscribe, share, and comment about the podcast, hopefully positively. We'll be back on Thursday with an interview with one of Watchmaking's finest. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.